0: Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you the DU Podcast with your hosts, Chris Jennings and Dr. Mike Brazier.
1: Thanks for joining another episode of the DU Podcast. I'm joined here in studio by my co host, Chris Jennings. Hey, Chris. Hey, Mike. And we're also joined on the phone, all the way from California, by our special guest on this episode, Mike Casaza, a research wildlife biologist with USGS Western Ecological Research Center uh, out in Dixon, California. Mike, thanks for taking the time to join the show.
2: Uh, it's absolutely my pleasure to be with you guys here this morning. Thanks, Mike and uh, Chris, for for having me on. We have
1: a uh, a really exciting topic. Or basically a host of topics that I think we're going to touch on with this episode. We appreciate you joining us to to discuss these. And it really centers on the use of radio telemetry to study waterfowl. And by judging from social media posts, I know this is going to be a topic of great interest to our listeners. Every year you see posts about someone having harvested a Uh, a a duck or goose that has a radio transmitter either attached or implanted and invariably you see social media posts uh, the the comments uh, attached to that where people are asking about how it works or making some statement about how it works and we as, as scientists that have worked with these this technology we're sometimes we we chime in and explain it but other times we're you you want to but then there's a whole host of questions that that opens up so the the podcast here gives us an opportunity to explain a lot of this in detail that ordinarily we wouldn't really have a a good venue to. and and mike you're a you're a great person to have on with this because you've done a great deal of work with uh, radio telemetry and you and your crew out in California are sort of at the forefront of some of the recent advancements in in the telemetry being used to study waterfowl. Uh, so, uh, again, thank you for, for your time. And I want to start by giving you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about your, um, about who you are, your, your personal background and professional career, what you do out there.
2: Oh, thanks Mike. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I started young, uh, out here and actually, uh, still working at the same, uh, research field station. We've changed, uh, agencies a few times, but, um, I, uh, started out as a 18 year old, uh, freshman at Davis. And, uh, my undergraduate advisor was Dennis Raveling and, and he was, uh, and also known as father goose uh, a, a, a big man in the in the research world for for waterfowl and he he hooked me up with the field station here um, uh, working on various waterfowl projects I was a work study student uh, beginning my undergraduate at Davis and and basically have stayed here uh, ever since uh, studying over a whole bunch of different topics and um, uh, using telemetry um, as a tool to to conduct a lot of the different research projects that I've worked on over the years. Um, and I, I hate to date myself, but I think that started back in 1984 um, uh, as, a, as a freshman at Davis, and I've just continued on that work and seen a lot of changes uh, to the telemetry world and using telemetry as a tool.
1: Have, have you have you kept a tally of the number of birds that you've attached a transmitter to
2: <laughs> or <laughs> implanted? No, you know, I, I imagine we could probably work that that up, but uh, you know, if, if you're just counting birds, uh, you know, it, it's it's definitely in the thousands, um, uh, probably tens of thousands. Um, I've, I've had the the opportunity to mark you know other other individuals. We've, we've done a lot of work on. Uh, on giant garter snakes here in the Valley too. They're a wetland dependent snake that's uh, threatened here and done telemetry on those and a variety of different other, other bird species too. greater sage grouse out in the great basin. Um, but yeah, no thousands, thousands of birds and thousands of different types of telemetry, um, uh, you know, uh, transmitters, different kinds. And it's really morphed over the years and, um, you know, you mentioned the, the hunters now being, you know, seeing, getting that prize in their social media post regarding, you know, they they harvest a, a bird with a transmitter. It's gotten a little bit more common because the, the price of some of these things has, has gone down to where we can we get a lot more out and gather a lot more data. So the opportunity for the hunters to harvest them has kind of increased slightly in in the recent years. How
3: many transmitters are you putting on just on average out of your shop?
2: Just this last, um, we started about five years ago with a a big push. Uh, The state of California is very interested in, in trying to understand how waterfowl are are really, um, you know, gathering the food resources they need here. And so we've, we've been putting the, the, the Last few years, we've been putting probably about an average of about 150 of these GPS GSM transmitters on um, various species of waterfowl. Um, and that's kind of gone up. We got added some goose work the last two years, so it probably puts us up closer to 200 transmitters um, and each one of these, you know, we can maybe talk a little bit about it later. But the the cost of these is 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 still pretty high with these GSM uh, GPS transmitters, you know. So it's you're limited in how many you can put out by how much funding you can you know push towards the projects. And
3: I bet it is very difficult to put a band on a garter snake.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they kept coming off. You know, we we I, that that's a funny story. It's funny that you say that because we did actually we, we actually published a paper on using um, some some tape to actually tape external transmitters on, uh, snakes. Uh, and, and they basically kind of drug the transmitter around it. It worked okay. It had a, a you know, a limited, perp, limited, uh, reliability, but, uh, for certain questions you could do that. It was kind of like, a uh, an interesting uh, attachment technique. The one that really works is implanting them surgically, but, uh, but we did try almost, almost like a band. Very so, cool.
3: Very cool.
1: Mike, let's, uh what I'd what I'd like to do on this first uh, this first episode here is is get you to talk about the evolution of of telemetry uh that's one of the fascinating things to me uh, i certainly wasn't around whenever telemetry first first hit the scene but and and I don't think you were either um my notes say it began somewhere in the 1950s but uh i i guess before we do that why the need to to study individual birds what does this give us at a fundamental level that we don't get from other other types of studies
2: yeah you know so the 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 transmitter the the telemetry uh you know transmitter as a tool um it gives you the ability to um to you know, to track where an animal moves and, and the types of habitats it uses and the fate that it it you, we have a a known fate for that individual we can track it until you know something happens till it dies or you know for a certain period we'll know everything it's doing and, and so it gives you an insight uh, an inference to the population. Um, that you can't get with, you know, without doing something um, along these lines. So we were, were basically able to infer, we, you know, we make the assumption that if we mark enough individuals we're, and we're actually um, being able to chart what the population um, of animals, uh, you know, are, are undergoing and, you know, what their survival's like, what their, um, you know, the habitats they're using. Just answer a whole bunch of questions about the population, but base it on the individual and, and gather that data from the individually marked, uh, animal.
1: We've had, uh, an episode or two recently where we've mentioned this idea of individual heterogeneity. I believe it was Drew Fowler in, in, the episode about body condition bias in in uh, geese harvested over decoys. And, and the telemetry really brings that home whenever you start talking about how individuals vary and, and you and the work that you're able to do with telemetry, you're monitoring those individual birds, tracking them and, and, and assessing their fate as you described. And then you can re- relate all that back to how those individuals vary in response to certain characteristics. So uh, just a, a connection back to some of the other uh, episodes we've had here. And so now let's, let's talk about briefly the evolution of telemetry and, uh, when did it when did it start and then what have we seen through y- the years to take us to where we are right now
2: yeah you know the the original telemetry work that i worked on back in the in the 80s and and some of the stuff that was pioneered by like one of our uh, station leader at the time when i started um dave gilmer had done a bunch of work in in the dakotas and minnesota um using vhf telemetry you know very high frequency telemetry which it was really just, it's really just—it's a radio signal. The, the transmitter puts out a—you know—a beeping sound when you listen to it through a receiver, and you have a handheld or a vehicle or airplane—in in Dave's uh, case—mounted uh, antenna that picks up that signal, and you can triangulate um, where—you know—where that uh, animal is, where that transmitter is, um, by going to various locations and getting your best bearing and putting those those signals together and. Getting a location, which all that required a a tremendous amount of manual labor and time. And so you were, you know, if you were lucky, you could get a location on, say, you know, an individual animal once or twice a day. Um, And if you had several marked, you know, if you were lucky to get 10 or 12 individuals located in a given day.
1: It also requires a lot of trigonometry. (laughs) <laughs> okay, yeah, there's,
2: there's a little uh, yeah a little trig involved uh, cosines and sines and uh, angles and 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 you had a lot of error back then too in terms of you know how well you could get your signal how far away you were what your angles were so the the error in that in that VHF telemetry data set is, it was pretty high yet so you had low sample size because it was hard to track and then you had relatively high error like you know at least hundreds of meters um, of, of of error in your location um, and then, you know, that, and that was with the, the individually tracked, um, VHF transmitters. And, and now, um, you know, we've, that's kind of, um, uh, evolved over time. And, um, we've gotten, we went to, um, satellite based transmitters that were, that, um, uh, offered a, a, a more precise location, but not at the GPS level. It was, um or actually uh maybe not even more precise but you could you could you wouldn't have to go track the birds they sent the signal of where the transmitter is through the uh satellites uh network
1: and then that would be downloaded to you that was one of the key advantages there this is that argos is the argos satellite system Exactly
2: yes the argos the argos system and yeah and, and so your locations have you know oh, they're the The amount of power that the transmitter takes to send that signal through the satellite is is pretty significant, so the transmitters tend to be pretty large um, and the number of locations you get again is relatively small because it takes so much power to send that signal and then the location quality of those Argos data somewhere around three hundred meters is usually about the best you're going to get with the argos um p t t data uh and then You know, now we've evolved all the way to the to getting um, GPS signals through the Argo system as well. Um, And you can get those which uh, obviously GPS have an error of about five to ten meters. Um, And then on up to the transmitters that we're using now, um, the GPS GSM transmitters, which actually use the the cell phone network to transmit the data. So um, and that's the ones that we're primarily using right now. uh, it's essentially sending a text message with the locational data and other sensor data from the transmitter um, to uh, to us and we just download the data and we're getting data and you know you can get data up to you know, every you know every minute um, depending on how uh, your batteries your your battery is doing for your transmitter
3: how big are some of these transmitters? I mean, and do you have different sizes? Like, do you have different size transmitters for green-winged teal rather than a mallard?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. There's, and that's kind of been the limiting factor all along. It's just the size and weight. It determines how, you know, how many locations you can get, what the quality is. Uh, and, it, you know, as scientists, we go through the process of figuring out, you know, what's the best transmitter we can put on to answer the questions we want to answer for a given species based on the limitations of the manufacturer. So, um, you know, we're putting on 10-gram uh, uh, trans- GSM GPS transmitters on uh, green wing teal and cinnamon teal, uh, blue wing teal right now, um, and, and they're, you know, collecting data, you know, pretty reliably. They're solar-powered, and um, depending on the sun, we're getting data, you know, as often as every 15 minutes, uh, GPS-quality data on those.
3: Somewhere down the line, someone had put a large transmitter on a smaller duck and was like, uh-oh, that's not going to work, so... You know that that lesson had to be learned somewhere
2: yeah it, it, we've pushed the limit on that if, you know and we, we can get special permission to try things out from the banding lab and, and but the, the basic rule of thumb is uh, you know you try and be less than three percent with uh, exceptions up to maybe five percent of the of the average body weight of the of the individual being marked
1: early on in the mean the the use of radio telemetry there were a host of studies that Mainly they were captive studies that used uh, – they were trying to investigate the effects on the behavior and survival and the, mm-hmm. the related to the size of the transmitter yeah. and the method of attachment. So the, this, the amount of study, the amount of work that's gone into figuring out how to do the what's the best attachment what's the most appropriate side it's pretty phenomenal in its own uh, in its own regard and we still haven't gotten that perfected you know anytime you attach something to a to a free-ranging animal there's going to be some some effect you know the idea is just to minimize that as much as possible and so
2: um,
1: Mike have you all done uh, done some of that work with these uh, with these new GPS GSM transmitters
2: yeah and uh, you know there's just there is it's a great point is, you know, every um, species and and even to some extent individual reacts a little bit differently to having um, a transmitter attached to them. Obviously, um, you know, it's going to, there's no, there's no real way to have no effect. Um, But we've looked, you know, pretty intently at trying to figure out ways to minimize those effects. Uh, One of the things that we did when we first started, we were using a Teflon uh, harness that really had no uh, stretch to it it was good about not not really absorbing any water into the harness um, but uh but it had really no um no stretch to it so the birds you know their body size uh, can vary quite dramatically over the course of a you know annual season um, and so we we found some automotive nylon um, that we had kind of had custom made uh, to um, attach the transmitters with and it has uh, you know pretty significant amount of stretch to it and it doesn't really have any memory so the uh the material will stretch as the bird uh, you know uh gains weight or or loses weight um, as um as the case may be and and then that and uh, you know we've recovered some of those transmitters after being deployed for a couple of years and uh you know the material still seems pretty vibrant. Still, still has that stretch to it. hasn't lost that, and uh, I think we're 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 pretty happy with that. As in terms of at least reducing some of the stress of, of having that backpack attached to to the various waterfowl species.
3: Yeah, what you you just kind of alluded to it of when you're retrieving these transmitters. Um, what are some of the like oddest places that you've you know found some of these transmitters where you've had to go and get it, and you're like, well, why, why would this thing be here?
2: Yeah, we've had uh, over the course of the uh, many uh, years, not just in our recent work, but uh, we've, you know, we've retrieved some from freezers uh, where we tracked them uh, into freezers that maybe were placed there, you know, out of season. Uh, We've had a few where we had to have the game wardens go and retrieve them from some poachers um, all the way to, you know, we recently had uh, one picked up. Uh, on the um, top of a, a building just outside of Reno uh, that uh, a raptor had obviously carried the, our cinnamon teal up there and, and dispatched of the teal and, and left the transmitter sitting on the sun on the roof, which allowed us to find it uh, pretty readily. So, um, yeah, we've had, uh, over the years, It's been uh, there's been a lot of different spots where a lot of treetops, um, eagle's nests, uh, hawk nests, um, we have one sitting on the top of a bridge in the Bay Area right now that we we're uh, still kind of figuring out how we could see if we could talk to the uh, to the uh, Caltrans and see if we can get that recovered.
0: You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport, made for hardworking dogs of all ages. Every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.
1: It's pretty interesting. You've talked to anyone that's worked with telemetry, and they will tell you of some pretty... Pretty fascinating stories. When I was actually out in the Central Valley of California as a, a research technician, working with a, working for a graduate student, and we were radio marking ducklings, mallard ducklings. They have these little small, I don't know what, three gram transmitters. Would that be about what they would be, Mike? That the little prong and suture, three gram, two and a half.
2: Two to three gram uh, prong and suture VHF. Yeah, the, uh, the VHF. So you'd, ha- you'd had to track them with their, your handheld antenna. That's a lot of work.
1: That's right. Tracking with a handheld antenna as well as the, the big mass that protrudes up through the roof of a truck. And you drive around and people think that you're, you're like listening for aliens or something or you're <laughs> eavesdropping on their telephone conversation. That's the most common thing. But I had a couple of instances where I retrieved a duckling carcass from a bullfrog, because you could still get the signal. You could see it coming from the water, and so it was actually able to retrieve a bullfrog. And then the other one, I saw a coyote running across the field, and as the coyote ran, the signal followed the coyote, and it (laughs) slowly began to become fainter and fainter. So you get stories like that. It's really neat because you see those processes in action uh, when you're able to track the individual uh, individual birds there. Uh, Mike, talk to us a little bit about the... Uh, because this is another one of the th- posts that i see often people are wondering what what are the capabilities of these of these transmitters what kind of sensors do we have in them do we have uh are we are we able to incorporate in them
2: yeah so the new sensors it's really exciting um and and we are actually working with nasa on a project to try and develop ways to you know add even more sensors um to the to the transmitters but uh Right now, uh, you know we have uh, alt- you have a altimeter. You can get the altitude. Um, you can get the temperature. You see, you have temperature sensors. You have uh, accelerometers, which are similar to like what you find in your Fitbits or um, you know your iP- Apple Watch or whatever, where you can get activity levels, and it basically records like the the um, the, the different planes again back to geometry, but the uh, you know how the uh, transmitter is is moving and it records that and it can record you know many uh, many um, data points per second and we can get an idea of when the bird's flying when it's feeding tipping uh, resting Um, and so uh, you know the in the in the transmitters themselves the ones that we're using store all that uh, information on board and when they're in good cell phone range we um, they will download that data through the cell phone network and uh, we can we can gather up all that data and have all kinds of information beyond just where the bird is, but actually you know what it's doing, how it's spending its time, uh, how much time it's flying, um, uh, things like that.
1: And you have the ability to customize these uh, these transmitters. It's not as though you, you just have a limited menu from which to choose. You can go in and customize this. You can choose the size. You can choose the uh, the different sensors. You can choose the frequency with which they're collecting the data, transmitting the data. So it's not as though every transmitter that's out there is of the same type. You know, that's the other great thing about it is you can customize these to maximize the, the, the relevance of the data for your particular study objective.
2: We can, um, you know, just basically customize it to the the research question so if we're really interested in you know um, the the time activity budget of a a bird we're interested in making sure we have enough uh, habitat on the ground to feed these birds over winter say um, we can look at their activity budgets and and use the accelerometry data for that and set those to record you know that that data accordingly Um, or uh we could you know if we're interested in in another question maybe mortality um we're we're looking at the activity to just see you know uh when a bird uh dies what's and then try and figure out what you know what what occurred there so there you know you, and then the other thing that's really- um kind of great that we can most of these transmitters are solar powered so we can adjust how much data they're collecting based on the battery level. So when they are fully charged and we're doing good with the, with power, we can try and gather as much data as possible. So we're not just sort of preset to what, um, you know, to one, one setting type and we, and they're, they're interactive. So every time they can interact with the, with a cell phone network, we can, we can go in and change the settings. And so we can do that, uh, you know, on a daily basis, even, even hourly, um, if we need to
1: would you say that's been one of the most significant advancements is the ability to actually communicate with the device while it's deployed
2: yeah that's that's really allowed us to kind of to attack m- different questions at different times like for instance uh, w- one of the questions we were having was you know um, how does disturbance affect um, uh, does affect the uh, waterfowl and and so one of the things we wanted to do to, to look at that was to to really get a good pulse so we wanted to see you know what individual birds were doing every you know every two minutes and so we were able to manipulate those settings and kind of store up some battery power for a week or two and then and then pulse the transmitter so for 24 hours we were able to get uh, locational data every two minutes on a group of uh, pintail and mallard and uh and so we can really get a, that fine-scale look at you know, how they're moving through the environment, what's going on on the, you know every other minute, and uh, just get a tremendous amount of data to answer these really kind of uh, specific, you know, really interesting questions uh, on how a bird spends its day that we haven't really um, had any ability to do before. So. Um and that's just one example of be, just being able to manipulate those settings uh, remotely from our office and, and and push the transmitters to answer these these really cool questions.
3: Hey Mike, what what do uh what would a hunter do, you know, if they harvest a transmitter? There's always some discussions of this. Um, you know, some people are under the impression that they're going to get, you know, in trouble or someone's going to be upset, <laughs> but if you know, if a hunter harvests a a bird with a with one of your transmitters, you know, what what are the, what's that process for them and then and, and how do you guys handle it as well
2: yeah that's uh you know we look at it uh, a- anytime a hunter harvests one of our birds we're, you know we're excited about that we're ha- happy for them and then happy for us and at the same time and and i say that because a lot of times um you know they'll harvest a bird that maybe had a transmitter that was placed on it a couple years ago maybe it's not working anymore and so um that's great data for us and and if if you know, we, we just encourage them highly to contact us. We have phone number on the transmitter itself, a website, uh, um, so email address as well. And, you know, getting that data, the opportunity to get that data for us is just really exciting. And, and what we try and do too is cause we know it's, it's kind of, you know, it's a special, special, uh, you know, event um, for the hunter, something that doesn't happen every day. And so um, we, we try and make sure that we, um, Communicate with them get information from them regarding the bird and then in turn we share um, Really detailed information about the bird that they harvested, you know with them And we'll Very send them cool. like a full-size poster uh, With all the birds movements and if you know if the bird's been marked for a few years, you know it can be a really a Really interesting poster of their birds movements uh, And then we'll also send a dummy transmitter one that looks exactly like the transmitter that they harvested You know, maybe minus a little wear and tear Uh, that they, if they want to mount it on, on their bird, that they would have that. And then that way we could get the working transmitter back and hopefully deploy it on another bird and get even more information.
3: Is there data that that you're getting from the transmitter that, that wasn't sent to you? Like just, I'm just assuming in some, you know, in a matter of power saving, maybe you're not sending all the data all the time maybe there's something on that transmitter that that when you guys get it it's unique to uh being harvested is there anything like that
2: no there is yeah i mean and that's that's it's sort of like uh you know it's Finding a treasure at some level. I mean some of the transmitters if they're in good cell range They're giving us the data, you know pretty much daily, but some of these transmitters maybe like on a pintail it might be you know It might be have spent its um, summer, you know up on the north coast of or you know north slope of Alaska uh, And then gets back down into Alberta and maybe gets harvested there and Hasn't had time to hook up with the cell phone network and download its data so uh, and it may never because sometimes, you know, they, they lose their ability to charge after a few years and, and, and we're not able to get that data. So sometimes it's still stored on the, on the memory chip in the transmitter. So we can get that data. We send the transmitters back to the manufacturer. And, you know, we've downloaded a lot of data from these hunter return uh, transmitters. It's uh, been invaluable for us.
1: And the point that can't be emphasized enough is that hunters will not get in trouble harvesting yeah. one of these <laughs> they're not they haven't uh they haven't killed some top secret bird they haven't uh ruined a research study they they don't need to remain secret it's, that's that's totally the opposite they're not going to get in trouble they are to be commended for their uh for their efforts and you know like you said mike it's uh it's it's somewhat of a trophy and and all the researchers that I'm aware of that are involved in these studies do something very similar, if not identical, to what you do. They provide as much information to the hunter as they possibly can. They will provide a dummy transmitter. They want the hunter to feel like they're an active part of that, that research, and, and they give all that stuff in, in exchange for, or to say thank you uh, for calling that in, and Uh, And for returning the transmitter, as you said, because these aren't cheap when you start talking about accelerometers, altimeters, GPS, GSM. They're not cheap. And so by returning that transmitter, they become an even more important part of active waterfowl research. Uh, In in many respects, it's just – it's the equivalent of donating the value of that that transmitter when
3: you call and and return it. So – uh, and I bet the I bet the raptors are much more efficient at, at killing ducks with transmitters than hunters for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, well they, they are pretty good at it. I'll give them I'll give them some credit. And, and that's a, one of the other things. That's, it's uh, it, an interesting point about raptors is, too. Is in the transmitters themselves than the you know when we ban birds with bands, uh, you know we most of our returns are, almost all the returns on band returns are from hunters. Uh, when we mark birds with transmitters. We're we're getting returns from hunters, which is great, and we're also getting those return. We're figuring out, you know, what what else is taking these birds out in the wild? Is it a disease outbreak? at, you know, uh, at a at a refuge somewhere? Is it you know botulism? Is it a raptor? And so, uh, you know, the, tra- the the known fate, the the ability to figure out what's going on uh, beyond just, you know, hunter harvest, um, is, you know, a a really great thing from, from, uh, the learning and understanding aspect of, of using these telemetry tools to, to figure that out.
3: Yeah. And I'm, I'm just curious, how do you notice that? Like when you know a bird has died in some way, shape or form, do you, like if that thing is sending the signal, um, can can you look at that data and just be like, oh man, we got to go get this one?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the new transmitters make it really easy, uh, and, and in some sense, the old ones did too. You just had to be within a mile of them to know they were dead, uh, and you 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 know the old transmitters, the VHF ones, they would double the pulse rate. And so if you heard it beeping twice as fast as normal, you knew that bird hadn't moved for eight hours. There's
1: a mercury switch, right? It would either be, either be thermistor, a little temperature sensor, or a okay. mercury switch, right?
2: Yeah. That was the old way. And now with the accelerometer data, you know, we, we actually, you know, we have alerts when the data comes in. We can know a bird's dead within, depending on the frequency of the relocations, within a few minutes of it dying. And so... Um, Yeah. And and we can, you know, basically you could tell we've marked some um, some rails with these, you know, that are in a tidal environment and we can look and see, oh, was the tide high or low when this bird, you know, when this bird was eaten uh, by a predator? And so we can look at things like that that we've never been able to really like pinpoint, you know, maybe, you know, what day or maybe what week it died. um, But now we actually know pretty much down to the minute. And, and the accelerometry data really can help with that. It pretty much just goes flatline, so it's not—you know—you don't have to be a, a great scientist to figure out when they're when they're dead. You just need the data.
1: Speaking of mortality, Mike, am I am I correct in uh, in thinking that for our typical banding analyses, uh, survival estimation from banding analyses, these birds, these transmitted birds, are typically excluded from those analyses I can imagine some hunters wondering about these being incorporated into those analyses but I mean I I know transmitted birds are sometimes used to specifically answer a question about within season survival but when we we don't uh, these these transmitted birds generally are not lumped in with the larger population of banded birds for those analyses are they?
2: No, no, that's, you know, because obviously we talked a little bit, we we realize that the transmitter is going to have some effect and some, you know, maybe more in in terms of some birds than others. Um, So uh, the banding lab, when every bird gets banded, it gets a special code um, that gets input. So when we band a, a duck and then put a transmitter on it, it gets a specific code that it that lets the banding lab know that um, it, it has a transmitter on it. And then, so when those banding analyses are done, they're just they're primarily just done um, on birds that have that just the standard code, no transmitter, no you know, no any no, nothing extra. Um, and and that's what the those those types of survival analysis would be done on.
1: And another, another point worth making here with respect to hunter uh, hunter harvesting one of these birds, they, we're asking them to do two things. We're asking them to report that aluminum leg band as they normally would to the uh, bird banding lab, but then also to contact the researcher uh, that's that's been responsible for implanting or attaching this transmitter to that bird. And usually that information is either atta- is included on a separate leg band or it may be on the transmitter itself, right, Mike?
2: Yeah, that's correct, and, and usually we'll get a call. Um, a lot of times they'll, they'll call us first. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter what order. I think, you know, definitely you need to report that band and they'll get their certificate from the banding lab. Uh, and then if they don't contact us, the banding lab sends us a report too. Um, I mean, sometimes the phone number's worn out and they can't really read it. And so they, the band is usually, the you know, the solid marker. So as long as they report the band, and they report their contact info we'll get back to them we'll uh, either email or call they provide their number and and then they can provide really a wealth of information about the bird itself you know was it flying by itself was it flying you know in a flock uh, how the bird look? what's the condition of it you know what did you, you know was it fat uh was it uh, you know in, in poor condition, and we can use those that information we have to um, really get a, a better feel for is our attachment uh, radio transmitter attachment type working correctly? Do we do we are we hearing of any you know issues like you know the bird swam into my decoy so that would be a bad sign right? So uh, we're, if we get any kind of responses like that, which we really rarely do. Um, but that really helps us to kind of uh, get a feel for how the attachment methods are working, and, and that information is invaluable because those those are observations made um, in the field by the hunter, the, the collecting uh, the bird um, can really you know let us know if, if things are going well or if we may have an issue with something.
1: Mike, I know you've uh, you're involved with uh, a host of telemetry studies, investigating a host of research questions, I should say, and we, we want to talk with you about a couple of those things, but I, I believe we've, we've probably covered quite a bit of ground on this episode, and we, I think this is probably a good place to wrap this one up. Thanks so much for your time on this episode and for sharing a wealth of information. Uh, and I know, like I said, this is a topic of always, always of great interest to, our, uh, to waterfowl hunters and uh, our supporters. So uh, thanks for your time.
2: Oh, my
3: pleasure.
1: A special thanks to our special guest on this episode, Mike Kinsatza uh, with USGS, uh, Western Ecological Research Station. Uh, also thank my co-host, Chris Jennings. And as always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, who does, uh, does a great job getting these podcasts out to you, our listeners. And of course, you to our listeners, uh, y'all are the most important part of this venture. We appreciate you spending your time with us. Thank you for your uh, commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation.